Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus captures something in these words in Matthew, something that he knew inherently as part of the Trinity, as God, but he also knew as he came incarnate to walk among the created. He recognized the human condition, one that we walk in every day, and that human condition is weariness. That human condition is burden. There's not one of us that sit here today that either have not just come from a time of unrest or are in the middle of a time of unrest or are headed into a time of unrest. It doesn't mean God's not God or that He's left us. It's the human condition. But also in those verses in Matthew 11, Jesus not just shares about the human condition, but He shares about our hope. And His hope, our heart, hope, excuse me, is in who he is. Often in the scriptures what we see is we see Jesus in some very subtle ways alluding to who he is. And then we got to kind of figure it out. But then there are those wonderful parts in scripture where Jesus lays it right out and says, this is who I am. And this is one of those places he says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You see, that's where we find our rest in the fact that that's who he is because that's not who we are. Today we're going to look at a weird word. Look at Matthew 5 with me. Welcome back to the hill, by the way. As we spend time on that mount in Jesus' sermon, and we look at the Beatitudes. We look at this third Beatitude. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. That's just a funny word, isn't it? I've studied it before, I've seen it before, likely you have, but we don't walk around talking about meek or meekness. In fact, it sounds pretty unappealing to me. It's kind of like the word curd. Now, I know people get really excited about cheese curds. Okay. But I love cheese. We buy cheese by the log as the Denlinger family. And so cheese is a very important thing in our house. But when I hear curd after the word cheese, it doesn't draw me. In fact, it, it's repelling. That's kind of what meek is to me. I mean, it sounds like someone who is just a pushover, someone who's a doormat. I don't share the enthusiasm that maybe some have for this word, or the word curd, for that matter. But I know it's still important. But I have to say, and I've said this to God, okay, as if the Beatitudes aren't hard enough, right? 
I mean, if they're not, as if they're not hard enough to, to build these into our lives and to nurture them and to follow Jesus' instruction, then he throws in a word like meek. Now, we know he didn't use that specific word. It's, it's, there's Hebrew and Greek for that word. But yet still, I'm thinking, really? As if it wasn't hard enough already. But Jesus, in the use of his words in Hebrew and Greek and such, knew exactly what he was doing. See, meekness is a very misunderstood, misunderstood word. In modern English, it's very much taken like the way I kind of think of it and likely the way you think of it. It's often seen as someone who is passive, and it's seen very negatively, one who is imposed on. Now, I ran a little test on the fam last night. We are sitting at the table uh, playing a game, and I said, okay, uh, let's just go around. Not everybody was there, but there were six of us around with fiancés and boyfriends included, and I said, okay, so what's meek? And... Jared, he, he, he went right at it. He was not afraid. Um, and I look across the table, and Victoria is on her phone. Now, at first, I was getting ready to make some sort of comment about, okay, it's time to put the phone up because we're having family time. But next thing I know, she's pulling up the definition. And I said, wait a minute, you cheated. So her answer didn't count. Nice try, honey. But it is a very misunderstood word. In fact, several of them said, I'm not answering. <laughs> Particularly after Victoria had a definition. They knew that it probably wasn't going to match up. But it's important to look at it. In, in the Old Testament, New Testament, we see this word for meek used a lot. But it's misunderstood because there's some differences even from Old Testament to New Testament. Old Testament, the term is very much synonymous with those who are oppressed. Those who, who are in a low position. So that's important because it was very much seen as a social condition and one that was really a lack of power. Now in the New Testament and, and other Greco-Roman literature, what you see is a word that is more like a virtue. And it's comparable to our word, humility. What's really fascinating as you dig into this is what you see that meek as Jesus speaks about it, and as it's used in other passages of Scripture, really is a sense of these, a combination of these understandings. So what do we do with it? You know, it's easy to throw it aside, but Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Well, I want to go back to Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Jesus says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Those two words, gentle and humble, very much begin to capture, together, not apart, but together, begin to capture this idea of what it means to be meek. So I want to I land there and spend a little time there. First Peter chapter 3, verse 4 is on the screen. I want to talk about gentle. I want to talk about gentleness for a moment because that aligns with this understanding of meek. 
Now, in 1 Peter 3, which you may recognize right away, is he's talking, uh, even in verses before that, Peter's talking about how women in that time were adorning themselves on the outside externally to um, almost gain and draw attention to themselves. And so, while this context is really uh, directed in the setting toward women and how they adorn themselves, men, you're not off the hook because really what Peter is capturing here helps us understand what meekness is. 1 Peter 3, 4, instead it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now the word gentle there is the Greek word paus, praus, which is the same word that, Jesus, that is used in the Greek in the Beatitudes. So why does this matter as we think about gentleness? Because what happens a lot of times in this culture is that we focus on the outside, don't we? I mean, you see all the efforts and energies in, in, in us getting ourselves to a place that we feel presentable. Now, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself, except for the fact is often we spend more time on the outside working on that than we do on the inside. There has to be a balance. But what we see in this verse and what Peter encourages us to see, because God sees, is that inner strength. Not just what the outside shows, but the inside. We need to understand meekness as an inner strength. You see, our modern day understanding of meekness is often comparable to weakness. Meekness is not weakness. Everybody say that with me because that's what we always think. Meekness is not weakness. But there is a strength and a power actually that accompanies someone who is meek. But it is controlled. It is harnessed, so to speak. It's not a lack of power, but it is power which has been managed, which has been trained to be exercised very, in very controlled ways. There's a phrase that southern horse breeders used to have. Take a look at this picture of these horses. The phrase was... And, and perhaps they still use it. I'm not a horse owner or a breeder, so I don't know. But what they said was that the meekest horse wins the race. The meekest horse wins the race. And I want you to visualize this for a minute. They're rounding uh, corner four, and they're headed toward the finish line. Now, if you've ever ridden a horse or even watched people ride a horse, when they're galloping or trotting, the horse that is, you're riding... The horse is rather upright, okay? The posture of the horse is rather relaxed and upright. But as you've seen in a horse race, when they round turn four and they're heading for home, what happens more than ever with them and the jockey? Right there it is. They lean in. Their, their posture and their stature is more focused than ever. Because they are taking everything, every ounce of strength that they have. And the jockey is trying to guide that. And they are working toward the finish line. It's an incredible image of meekness. It's probably not something that many of us have thought about before. But think about the strength that is harnessed behind 
those horses. And it's controlled. If it wasn't, he'd be off into the stands or running the other way around the track. Now, wouldn't he? But let's think about it from quality or characteristic that is not physical, but that it is a part of our soul. Can you imagine a life where there is such a spiritual poise in you because of an inner strength that is, allows you to exercise control with your feelings, your emotions, your spiritual understanding, all of that trained, disciplined. Now, if, if you're like me, and perhaps you are in this, you start to think of that and you're like, oh my goodness, I don't even get close. I forget to brush my teeth, maybe you say. How am I supposed to manage this inner strength? It's important for us to remember that that's where gentleness comes from. Look at this picture of this man and this infant. This is a picture of gentleness. Because it's a picture of a man who is strong. Perhaps from some training. Perhaps this normal development. But yet he in discipline has exercised the ability to hold something that is so incredibly fragile that he has the power to destroy if he would like. But yet, in tenderness and gentleness, even with the cup of a, the palm of his hands, is to cradle that fragile child. Again, I want us to think about this physical expression of gentleness and think about our soul. And to think about how we cradle God's word, God's truth, and nurture it inside of us. Because that's what, part of what meekness is about. It's calmness in a trial or a tribulation. Remember Jesus is out on the lake with the disciples in the boat. They've known each other for a little while now, and they're out there, and as they're traveling a on the boat, the, the storm comes up. Jesus is taking a nap. They're going nuts, because the waves get higher, the boat's starting more and more to toss and turn, and they're freaking out, paraphrase Dan. And so finally they're like, Jesus, come on, do something about this. He gets up. And he says, be still to the waves. And he looks at him, and he's like, don't you get it? Obviously they didn't. But don't you get it? I'm here. I'm here. You know me. I thought you knew I had control over the waves, and I'm right here. And even th you, though you think that I don't have control of it, it's okay. There's so many parallels with that to meekness and understanding not only an inner strength but a spiritual poise. In word, it's demonstrated meekness, that is, gentleness, that is, in the tone of our words. Is your tone hurtful or are your words sharp? And oftentimes, it's because we react, don't we? We get caught up, and, and for whatever reason, whatever training, whatever discipline we've had to harness our spiritual nature, our soul, some things just trigger us, 
and meekness is the last thing that we are. Sometimes it's rage. Sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's insecurity. It's fear. It's likely all of those. A meek person very much, not perfectly, but very much takes time to nurture their soul in gentleness. You can never be gentle outwardly if at first you don't have the inner strength and discipline to nurture your soul. It'll never happen. Not just physically, but also emotionally, intellectually, and all those other ways. But here's the lie. Here's where we get caught. Is that we believe that inner strength is something that we muster up. We believe the lie that somehow, someway, if, if I do enough of this and do enough of that and really get myself going, I can harness and have spiritual poise. And then we know what happens, don't we? Along comes that situation, and out of the blue, just when we thought we were at a point, we were doing okay, boom, somebody says something, and off we go. We don't like it. We know it as soon as it's out, off of our tongue, as James talks, about, as James talks about, as soon as we get going with it, we know we've lost control. But that's because gentleness, meekness, inner strength cannot come from you. It can't come from your best friend. It can't come from the latest self-help. Inner strength that leads to gentleness and meekness comes from one. And it's the same one we just worshipped in song. As much as we think that we can muster things up because of experience or even taking this idea of knowing God for as many years as some of you, me, may have is we think, well, I've done this for 20 years. I've got this now. No. We have to constantly look back and recognize that anything that we are able to do is because of Him. Anything. Gentleness especially. But gentleness is only a part of being meek. Because even at that point, Meek, or excuse me, gentleness doesn't capture all of what Jesus is talking about in meekness. It has to do with where we understand God is and who He is. It's about humility. So gentleness, that inward strength partnered with humility. And I want us to look at humility as John describes it in John chapter 3 verse 30. It's up on the screen. The context here is John the Baptist, as he's spending time with his disciples, this is before he's imprisoned, and he is with the disciples and others, and he has one purpose, and that purpose is Jesus is exalted. He is preparing the way. We know the scriptures, we've read scriptures on that perhaps. He is preparing people for the coming of the Lord, his first coming. And so along the way, as he's talking about who Jesus is and where his rightful place is, and he says with great joy, and actually right before verse 30, he, he uses the word joy, he says, he, that's Jesus, must become greater, I must become less. Now remember, we're on humility. He must be greater, I must be less. English Standard Version, I think, actually is, I really like their use of increase and decrease. Back to the human condition is that the one that is greater is where we put most importance. 
And the tendency for us is, is for us to put ourselves there. And we bring God along, we throw Jesus in, we call upon the Holy Spirit time to time, as it works, feels good, right setting, all that good stuff. At least that's what I do. That's what I'm tempted to do. Because I'm tempted, John understood, that he was tempted continuously to put himself here. And God would just kind of filter in and wrap everything else up in a nice little package. That's not the way humility works. Humility is all about putting God first. God as the, the one. God in his spot because of his holiness and the fact that he's created us and that we are the creature. And he is God and he is holy and he is God and we are not. That's humility. When we understand that God is God and we are not, and we're okay with it. Because how many times do we, we really try, I really try to put God up there. And the next thing you know, I'm climbing the ladder. There's not room for God in me. There's not room for God in you first. And humility says, meekness says, is that for the inner strength, God is going to be God and I'm going to let him be God. And I, I get it, it's hard. And it's so hard. You look, it's hard. Because when things start blowing up, when things start happening to people you love, and you say, God, if I just do this, it'll fix it. Or at least I can help. Maybe it'll make me feel better. No, it won't. You up here does not make you feel better. The only thing that will make you feel better, that will allow me to feel better, the only thing that will lead us forward in an, in an inner strength, in a spiritual poise, is if God is God and we say, Amen. And we say, let Him be God. And that means every situation. That means every circumstance. The ones that are the most painful for you right now in your life is you say, God is God. And my humility, not because I want to brag about it, but my humility, your humility, all depends on God being God and letting Him do it. We've got to let Him do it. We will never be meek if we can't let God be God because that's where your inner strength comes from. It is, it is God speaking peace through His Holy Spirit into your life. Verse 31 there in John 3 says, The one who comes from above is above all. In other words, God is God. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. You're not. You're not God. The one who comes from heaven is above all. See, it's about submission. It's about submitting to God. And I understand that submission in our culture is so such a mess. Because we tend to, in our human thinking, is that anytime we think about submission, we tend to imply an abuse. I mean, think about it. In a marriage, when you hear the word submission, even though it's biblical, it's, it's, it's mutual submission, by the way, most of the time... When we hear about a wife being submissive, in this culture, there's typically abuse combined with it, verbal or physical, or spiritual. Or if you think about an employee and an employer, and, and an employer says, you need to be submissive because I'm your boss, there's an abuse there, likely. But the reality is, is that that's man to man, woman to woman, that, that's human terms. That is not God. That is not God. God does not abuse. 
God never takes advantage of his role, his position. He's God. He's holy. And so church, be very careful that we don't, in understanding submission, which is a huge part of humility, is that we understand that God is going to abuse it. Many outside of the church would say, I've tried religion and I don't have anything anything to do with it because they abuse it. You're right, it happens, but it's human abuse. It is not godly abuse. It's human abuse. Again, we're all tempted to climb back up that ladder and put ourselves first. One good translation of the word meek is those who don't trust in their own power. So it doesn't say one who doesn't have power, but don't trust in their own power. We trust in God's power. We practice toward God meekness. Get ready, here it comes. So what this means is we don't whine. God's doing this, we don't whine. And I'm not talking about anything with church, I'm talking life. Meekness toward God has to, has to demonstrate itself before you're ever going to exercise or live out meekness in your life. Because meekness is inherent in God, inherent in the character of Jesus Christ. And so if you are not meek toward God, you cannot be meek toward others. And so meekness toward God says, you're God, and I'm going to let you be. Meekness says, I'm not going to whine. Are you going to hurt? Yeah, you're going to hurt. Are you going to have pain? Yes. Mark, mark my words, Jesus says, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. so hard. But if we truly, truly believe that God is a God of grace, I mean, after all, He's extended salvation to every one of us, not just in this room, but in this world. It's that God has the right to do everything God wants to do. And we have to be okay with it. Worshiping and loving Him. It's going to hurt. If you want to whine, whine to God. I'm not saying don't bring people around you. That's not what I'm saying. But how often do we say to God, why, 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 why? God, why? I don't get much of what God does, quite frankly. I don't get it. But I know deep down that He's right, He's perfect, He's holy. And most of the time, as I spend time with him and live with him every day, what I realize is that it's me who doesn't get it. It's me who has to continue to live with the humility before him and to say to him, God, be God. I read a book on my retreat um, by a gal named Hannah Anderson. Hannah is uh, a pastor's wife of a little, uh, small little country church down in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. And uh, the circumstances surrounding me getting this book, some would say, well, it just kind of happened, coincidence. No, it was God. He knew what he was doing, once again. And I was reading an article on my flipboard, and it recommended this book. And so, and I never do this, and I mean that. I never, oh, they recommend a book. Well, how about I buy it? 
Well, that little Amazon one-click button is pretty handy. And so I'm reading this article, and they recommended Humble Roots by Hannah Anderson and said, that's a good book. And I said, okay. So I ordered it. Well, it arrived, arrived at home a few days later, and as I stacked up the books for my uh, prayer and study retreat, I threw it in. And I started reading this book, and I have never read such a profound, theological, yet practical and beautiful writing on humility. Humble Roots is the name of it. You need to pick it up. It is an excellent book. In fact, the staff is starting to walk through it over the next six months. She says this in her book, speaking of how we try to get ourselves in God's role and let God fill in everywhere else. She says, when we are consumed by God's glory, we forget to worry about our own. Isn't that good? When we, when we are consumed by God's glory, we forget to worry about our own. Ultimately, the virtue of meekness is a dependence on God, and that's what humility is. But here's this final piece that I think is so crucial. If in gentleness, as Jesus describes himself, and we seek to live by, there is in that gentleness, an inner strength, a spiritual poise which comes from our relationship with God because we've depended and submitted to Him, something happens. Something will absolutely happen in your relationship with everybody. I believe this. Every relationship you have as you exercise the quality of meekness will be distributed and demonstrated in your relationship with others. And it's restoration. Look at Ephesians 4.2 on the screen. Be completely humble, Paul says, and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. You see, that inward strength that comes from a submission and dependence on God changes our heart, our mind, our soul, and we become other-centered. And not just other-centered for the sake of looking good, but an other-centeredness that actually is built around restoration. In, in other words, meekness is a soul whose relationships are restorative. Every interaction you have, every conversation, no matter how insignificant you think it is, no matter how much you know the person, God's intention through meekness is to use you as a vessel of his restoration. Now let me be clear, you're not restoring them. You are the instrument for that to happen because you're allowing God to work through you. So all those people that absolutely annoy the heck out of you, well, maybe you, <laughs> just I'll say that. <laughs> but maybe what annoys you about them is they don't follow God. God will give you a perspective that says, I'm not going to lash out to them. I'm not going to treat them badly. I'm going to practice meekness, which doesn't mean that I'm not going to be strong about what I believe and who I follow. But I'm going to seek to restore them in every conversation. The meek do not seek gain for themselves. Instead, they hope in the Lord. And so what this means, very much like toward God, is that we do not get upset every time somebody offends us. But we allow God to use that. Complain to God about that. 
And again, I'm not undermining the need for accountability and those close friendships in our life where we just need to cry, to, to cry with them, to get upset with them. But I tell you, that should happen first with God. That's part of our submission. But when we're wronged, there's no resentment in a meek soul. There's no, how can I get back to them? There is a trust, like is spoken in Romans 12, a trust that says God will take care of that. Because whether God deals with that on their time on earth, they're going to have to answer to the judge one day. And it's not, okay, God, have fun with them. Can't wait till you stand before them. No. It's, it's his perspective which says, I want to give them as much opportunity as I can. Which is why he hasn't sent his son again. It's because he's patient, just as he's been patient with us. So look in this quality of meekness what we have. It is a measure that people of Eaton Church, the brethren, need to measure in their life. I'm not sure how you want to do that. I'm not going to walk around with some measuring tool. I don't know what that would be. But practice it. This is not something we throw aside and say, well, we'll kind of do this once in a while. No, this is something that has to demonstrate what's going on in our souls with God. Not in an arrogant, showy way, but for a deep love of God. Because you're going to be put in situations. You're already in them. You're going to be put in situations where your spiritual poise is going to be tested. And where are you getting your strength from? Allow meekness to shine through you for God's glory. The last part of this phrase, for they will inherit the earth, there's a whole lot in here, but I want to focus on one thing. There's all the future promises that God talks about over and over again in Scripture, how He favors the meek and the humble. Spend some time, do a study on word study on those and look through those. But I want to go back to Matthew 11 one more time. Deb, if you can put Matthew 11 back up on the screen, 28 and 29. This promise of inheritance that we read about in the last part of this beatitude should lead us to live with anticipation and expectation of God's blessing for eternity, but it should also allow us to rest in Him as we walk through this broken world. Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Some of you know very specifically, you've used them before, what a yoke is. A yoke is an instrument to control an animal. And when Jesus says, I want you to, I want to exchange your yoke for mine. Yoke has an understanding as a symbol of authority. Whoever's yoke you are carrying, that is the authority that you live by. And so when Jesus says, I want you to take off your yoke, and I want you to take mine. What Jesus is saying is, I want you to take my authority. I want you to live by my authority. And then that promise, because it's light. Why is it light? Because we're letting God be God. 
We're not feeling like we have to fix everything on our own. We have a role. Jesus is in control. Hannah Anderson in that book, Humble Roots, says this. Jesus comes to bring us freedom and rest, but this rest is contingent upon something. We must come to him. We must take his yoke. We must learn of him. And here is the rub, she says. Here is the real source of our anxiety and stress. Here is the root of all unhappiness. The rest that Jesus offers only comes when we humble ourselves and submit to him. That's the heart of meekness. That's the heart of meekness. Not believing we are the ones that control our destiny, but that God is. Meekness is a gentleness toward others. Rising from an inner strength and control, a spiritual poise. It's a humility that comes from submission. And that gentleness and humility display themselves toward others as you live out restorative relationships. So I want you to think for a moment, despite the fact that you don't know whether you feel like you can do this, that's okay, you're normal. But I want you to think for a minute about one particular person, one particular relationship, one particular circumstance where you can specifically seek to live out meekness. Because like what happens to me a lot of time is that when, when I hear a message is that, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to do this in my life. And it's so big and it's so broad and it's a good thing, but it's like it, it just gets diminished and watered down because it's so overwhelming. Well, don't think about every part of your life this morning. But think about that one relationship. Maybe it's someone that you responded to last week and meekness was the farthest thing that could describe your response. <laughs> Maybe it's a relationship that's been broken. And your relations, your part of that relationship has been one of bitterness and, and being vengeful. And you need God to change your heart on that. Maybe it's somebody you know who's walking through a very difficult time right now and you want them to see the Lord. That's what we should always want for them. And one of the ways they're going to see the Lord is as you reflect Him in meekness. As you are gentle and humble in heart. So I want you to close your eyes a minute. And, and, and I ask that you, you think of one person, one circumstance, one situation or relationship. And just, just give that to God. Ask him for opportunity in that particular situation or with that particular person. Ask God to make it clear to you of how perhaps you didn't live meek. Were you trying to abuse your position? or power. Did you just lose your cool?
Seek God for forgiveness. Repent of that. And show him your willingness. Tell him your willingness. Father, as we close in worship through song this morning, I pray that that is only a piece of the worship that you will see in us this week. In fact, Lord, I hope it's a catalyst for the worship that you will see in all these situations that were just brought before you. God, we know that you know them. They're not secrets to you. But God, I pray that as you continue to nurture this in us through the leading of your Holy Spirit, is that God, help us to be people who seek restoration, who remember the grace that was extended to us and seek to live that out with others. And God, may we not walk out of this place as ones who don't have hope or ones who are whole over, that are overwhelmed with all the things that we shouldn't be overwhelmed with. But God, let's, let us sing praises right now knowing that our hope is in you because you're God, you're on the throne. You are holy and you are completely capable to take care of anything in our lives. So may we worship with great celebration and joy knowing we have a responsibility, but knowing that you're going to lead us, we don't have to do it on our own. So Father, as we worship, make this song a song of prayer for us as we worship you. And may it be the beginning of the worship of you in this coming week. Let's stand and worship together.